A few years ago, I picked up uh, this big old book, and it's called Letters of Note, and it's a, a book that I love. Thank you, Noah. Appreciate it. Uh, I love this book. It's got uh, hundreds of pages of reprinted letters from famous people, historical figures, and just unique letters that, that somebody has curated. And I want to share with you uh, a letter that's in this book from Charles Schultz. How many of you know who Charles Schultz is? He's the creator of the Peanuts comic strip, Snoopy, Lucy, uh, Linus, Charlie Brown, all of that kind of stuff. And in 1955, Charles Schultz introduced a character by the name of Charlotte Braun. And Charlotte Braun in the comic strip was, uh, was immediately pushed everybody's wrong buttons. She was loud, she was brash, she was opinionated, and Charles Schultz started getting all kinds of pushback letters people were writing to him saying, we don't like this character, please take her out of, uh, of, of the comic strip. We like Charlie Brown, we don't like Charlotte Braun. You need to do something different. And so uh, one particular person uh, was named uh, uh, Elizabeth Swaim, who wrote to Charles Schultz, and he was good enough to send a letter back to her. And here is what the letter reads from Charles Schultz. You ready for this? Dear Miss Swaim, I am taking your suggestion regarding Charlotte Braun and will eventually discard her. If she appears anymore, it will be in strips that were already completed before I got your letter or because someone writes in saying that they like her. Remember, however, that you and your friends will have the death of an innocent child on your conscience. <laughs> Are you prepared to accept such responsibility? Thanks for writing and I hope the future releases will please you. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You have the death of an innocent child on your... <laughs> That's so great. Love Charles Schultz. I love letters. I love old letters. I have, I have saved all of the letters. Chris and I had a long-distance relationship for a very long time. I have all the... How many of you have old love letters? Um, my parents haven't let me see their love letters. I'm not sure what that means. But I, I love reading old letters. And... Um, and, and it's just a good thing. And, and today, I'm, I'm here to invite you to experience an old letter, actually an ancient letter, that we are going to be reading together for the next 10 weeks. It's the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. If you've got your Bible with you, uh, you can, you can kind of take a look at it. This is a letter that's in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And for the next 10 weeks in, our, in many of our groups and here on Sunday mornings, we're going to be teaching from 1 Corinthians. And I want to invite you over the next 10 weeks to read this letter, this 2,000-year-old letter together with all of us. And, uh, and I, I think it's going to be great. We're launching this new uh, message series today that we're calling Crossroads. And, and you're going to find out why we've chosen the name Crossroads. But really what we're going to find as we read this letter is that we're going to see that that 1 Corinthians really is the intersection of Christ and culture. And so uh, that's, that's where we're heading, and I, I want to just jump in right here this morning and read the first three verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what we read. This letter is from Paul. I, I just want to stop there. How many of you, you don't even have to raise your hands, 
But you might not have even known that what we call the book of 1 Corinthians is actually a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's get back to, to what he says. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. Now, there's a name that you might not know. You might not hear about this very often. Sosthenes was the Jewish synagogue ruler in Corinth, where, where Paul is writing to, and Sosthenes had converted to Christ, and then he was beaten for his faith. And we read about that in Acts chapter 18. So this is a guy that lived in Corinth. He, he received Jesus, and then now he's traveling with Paul in another place, and they're writing a letter back to the people of Corinth. Verse 2. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Now this verse is important because it turns out that in this very beginning section of this letter, we find out that Paul isn't just writing to the people of Corinth, but he's writing to everyone everywhere who has experienced the grace of Jesus. So this letter is actually to you and me. And we're going to find out that there's a whole lot of stuff that we can learn and that we can apply. Verse 3 says, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace, say grace, grace. and peace. Say peace, yeah. May the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. How many of you need a little grace in your life? You know what the word grace means? Grace is the Greek word charis, and it's a really great word because it means grace, or it can be translated gift. And later on in 1 Corinthians, we're going to read about what Paul calls the charismata, which are spiritual gifts. And so not only does Jesus give us grace and peace, but he also gifts us with spiritual gifts and things that the Holy Spirit does, but that'll come in future weeks. So today, I'm, I'm so excited to take a deep dive into this letter from Paul, and I want to invite all of you to join me on this journey, and I hope you will. Now, you might be asking this morning, why this letter? Why 1 Corinthians? And, and today, as, as a way of introduction to, to this letter and to this uh, journey we're going to be on, I want to give you three really great reasons for spending 10 weeks reading this letter. But I also want you to know this. This is an incredible opportunity for you to watch Jesus show up in your life. You might be here today because you're just realizing it's the beginning of a new season, uh, the summer play season is over, and now I've got to get down to business in my spiritual life. If that's you, this is an opportunity for you to watch Jesus show up in your life. Or maybe you're here today because somebody invited you to come, you haven't been to Connect before, and you don't really know why you're here. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but this is an opportunity for you as well to watch Jesus show up. Maybe you're here today and you just want more. You're hungry for more. I, I want you to know Jesus is going to show up in a really incredible way for you. Or maybe you would be honest with me this morning. Again, don't raise your hands. 
But maybe you would be honest this morning and say, I'm just going through the motions. I've been going through the motions for a while. I want you to know today that if you will take this opportunity seriously, if you will join us on this journey of reading 1 Corinthians for the next 10 weeks, I want you to know that Jesus is going to show up in your life because he's still showing up today. And we're watching it happen all the time. And here's why. You ready? Here's why. Reason number one. You and I are a lot like Paul. Paul is the writer of this letter. And, and he wrote to this church in, in, in Corinth. And, and I think a lot of times we think of, of, of Paul the Apostle. We call him Paul the Apostle. And we lower our voice when we say it. Paul the Apostle. And we think of him as being a spiritual giant. And indeed, he, he was. He wrote a huge portion of the New Testament. And so we put those guys on pedestals a lot of times. But did you know that you and I have a lot in common with Paul? He wasn't always a spiritual giant. In fact, he was really, really messed up. But Jesus showed up in his life and changed everything. And it's so cool. And we have a lot more in common with him than you think. So I want to take you to the beginnings of the story of Paul in Acts chapter 9. We'll come back to 1 Corinthians in a little bit, but I want you to get to know Paul a little bit. And in Acts chapter 9, we read uh, where, where Jesus showed up in his life. Now, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture here, so I didn't put this all on the screen. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got a device, you might want to turn there to Acts chapter 9. And, and this account begins with talking about this guy that we know as Paul. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, they use the name Saul. Okay? Now, some people think that God changed Saul's name to Paul because of a spiritual encounter. The actual truth is Saul is his Hebrew name. He was probably named after King Saul in the Old Testament. Paul is his Romanized name. Okay? So it's kind of like our good friend Juan Carlos. We call him Juan. Uh, English speakers would call him John. Okay? Saul, Paul, same kind of thing. Got it? So, Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Okay, a little backstory right here. Saul was a Pharisee. He was a very devout Jew, and he believed that the ministry of Jesus and the followers of Jesus that were growing exponentially in these years, they were a threat to the survival of the Jewish religion. And so Saul had taken it on himself to go out and arrest Christians. He had murdered Christians. Everyone who was following Jesus was afraid of Saul. So Saul went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in a neighboring city called Damascus. And he was asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains, where they would be on trial, they might be imprisoned, they might be executed. Okay, here's what I want you to know about Paul, Saul. He did a lot of bad things in his life. Can anybody in here relate to Paul? Okay, you've done a bunch of bad things. He's a lot more relatable than maybe you've thought of before. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. 
As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul asks, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And here's what I want you to see here. Even though Paul was doing really bad things, Paul was opposing Jesus' followers. He was actually opposed. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Okay, Paul was doing a lot of bad stuff. And even though he did that, Jesus showed up and completely changed Paul's direction. What would you think if that happened to you? What if Jesus showed up in your life and completely changed the trajectory of your life? Verse 7 says, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. And Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Man, sometimes when Jesus shows up in your life, it can be pretty dramatic, be forewarned. But I want to tell you, for Saul, the life change was miraculous and it was good. It was world changing. What if Jesus showed up in your life and made you into a world changer? It's possible. In fact, I think it's even likely if you'll open your heart to it. Now the story goes on and verse 19 says that there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias and the Lord spoke to this guy in a vision and, and told him to go over and find Saul. And you can imagine that, that Ananias was terrified because he knew that Saul was murdering Christians. And here's Jesus telling him to go find this guy. But because Ananias knew how to hear God's voice and he was an obedient follower of Jesus, he went and he found Saul. And, and this is what the Lord said. I'm in verse, verse 15. The Lord said, go... Because Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he needs to suffer for my name's sake. And that's a little bit scary. But Ananias went to Saul. He laid his hands on Saul. Scales fell from his eyes. His, his vision was restored. And, and then Ananias began to minister to him and help him understand what it meant to be a follower of the Messiah, Jesus. Here's what I, I want us to know here today. Every one of us needs other people walking alongside us on our spiritual journey. Saul had this incredible experience of being interrupted by Jesus. He saw Jesus. He was knocked down by the power of Jesus but it wasn't enough for him to just cloister himself into a monastery and, and just pray all day and night. God directed somebody to come alongside and walk side by side with him in his journey. And then Paul went on and multiplied that experience again. Every one of us needs people walking alongside of us. And I hope you've got those people in your life. And if not, you'll have an opportunity to start those, those relationships today. Where am I at? End of verse 19. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, 
And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, in the Jewish houses of worship, saying, Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Can you imagine how, how he must have been received? Verse 21 says, all who heard him was amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Verse 22 says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Wow, what a turnaround. But it all started because Saul encountered Jesus. Oh, how we need to have Jesus show up in our lives today. Now, I want to take you to one more passage. One more passage uh, that gives you a little background information on Paul and, 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 and kind of reinforces my belief that you and I are really a lot like Paul. And, and so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, we hear Paul's experience here in the first person. He writes about it himself. Here's what he says, starting at verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Okay, so Ananias walked alongside of him, but what Paul is saying is Jesus himself downloaded the information. He was learning from Jesus, okay? Fascinating, right? I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus. In other words, Jesus showed up in Paul's life. You know what I was like, Paul says, when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy God's church. What a confession. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Everybody say grace. grace. Chose me, called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son, Jesus, to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Listen, you and I are so much like Paul. You and I have done a bunch of crazy stuff. We've done a bunch of bad stuff. Am I the only one? Okay. But you and I have received grace. And you and I have received a call. And Jesus is going to show up. I want, you to, I want you to hear a story from Naomi Birkenpass. Nay, you want to come on up? You've got a few fans up here, in here. Lots of people love you, right? Okay, Naomi reached out to me about a month ago, and, and she's got some notes here that she's prepared, but... Uh, but we're just, we're just going to talk a little bit, so you don't need to be nervous. But um, you shared with me about a month ago 
that for a really long time you really struggled to worship the Lord with any kind of freedom. Why, why don't you share with all of us a little bit about what the struggle was? Yeah. So when I was a kid, um, I was in a church that wasn't, you don't really raise your hands even much, but um, I ended up having this boy come up to me after worship and kind of giggled and laughed. I was like, I saw you dancing while you were worshiping and, and it was so cute. And I was, you know, it just was embarrassing because I didn't even know I was dancing. Um, and it just made me fully aware that people are watching me and who. So uncomfortable. And, yeah. Yeah. And so what did, what did that do to your sense of freedom in worshiping, even, even here at Connect, where we're a little more demonstrative? Um, so just throughout my adulthood, too, just raising my hands just felt so hard and, like, didn't feel right um, to me. And so, yeah, it just really made it hard for me to want to feel God during worship, even though deep in I did, but it just really blocked me from yeah. wanting to feel him in worship. And I know you love the Lord, but just expressing it became difficult for you. Is that, is that right? Okay. Yes. Now, there was something that kind of compounded that for you. Uh, you and your husband began to struggle with getting pregnant. So tell us a little bit about, about that experience and how that affected your relationship with God. So about a year ago, um, we ended up, uh, we, we got pregnant, and it was perfect timing. I was pregnant with my best friend. Um, we were excited of the idea of our kids growing up together. Um, and so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. You bet. But um, during that time, I just, God kept reminding me about my blockage with worship and I just so want my kids to love Jesus and to be free in their love for Jesus. And so the day after I've, or the week, in that same week that I found out I was pregnant, I just worshiped him and I put my hands up and I just was like, God, I will commit to do this because for generations I want my, my kids to know that they can freely worship you. Um, and then the very next day, I miscarried my baby. And I was just so confused. Sure. Because I, I was like, God, I stepped out. I did what you asked me, you know, what you put on my heart. Mm -hmm. Why did you not step in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, so then moving forward, was it back to that feeling of reservation and... Uh, yeah. Were just, you angry at God? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, um, but what's interesting too is in the last few years, he has worked on me to, to know him differently than I have in the past. I've known him as more of the judge God growing up, and he in this whole last few, almost five years now, has just redirected me to, I'm good, and I love you. And so I was so angry with God because it feels abandoned. It feels like... Sure. Um, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, no, you have taught me who you are these last few years. You are so good, even though I'm really angry at you <laughs> for not doing what I thought you would do. Yeah. Um, and so the weekend after I miscarried, again, a God thing, I had planned to go to... Um, it's called WorldCast. It's a conference with Harold Everly. He's um, the speaker there. 
And um, there's a lot of enthusiastic worshipers at that conference. And um, like I said before, even just raising my hands just felt awkward. So like dancing with flags was like, <laughs> and there was a little expressive. There was right? lots of dancing with flags there. Yes. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and someone in particular, in particular, that went with us. Um, her name is Natalie. Uh, she was dancing, and it might have even been the same flags I danced with today. But she was dancing, and again, this is like five days after I lost my baby, and I just watched her dance, and I was like, someday I want to be so free. In God like that you know mm -hmm. I want to be so free to worship him and but God is like oh, the grace that you're talking about God is so gracious and there was no shame because at that time all I could do was just stand there I couldn't even sing I was just so angry and um, so yeah he just he's so gracious to tell me it's okay all you can do right now is just watch and that's okay um, so I watched her and yeah, it's just beautiful. And then Jesus showed up. Yeah. Like he does. Yeah. What happened? So um, throughout this last year after my miscarriage, I have found through worship, um, I just break. Like I just cry. And it's funny because I'm not someone that used to cry a lot. I was like, is something wrong with me? I don't cry like movies that are sad. Um, anyway, so I would just cry. And I just would feel all the emotion again of losing my baby and God not being, feeling like God was not there um, during worship. And so um, a few weeks, well, a couple months now ago, uh, Ryan sent me a, um, and I don't know, some of you may know, she's someone that dances with flags every once in a while. Um, she sent me a podcast. Uh, well, okay, let me back up. All good things. Um, I, I felt a few months ago that God just kept telling me, you need to write down your story about that time during your miscarriage and, and write down where I was at in those times. So I sat down and I was writing about it. It took me about two weeks to actually give in to him telling me that. Hmm. Um, and I sat down and I was writing my story and it turned into this letter towards God that was just like, why? Why? And just, and I just laid it all out. And the cool part is I just didn't feel shame. I didn't feel like he was looking at me and like, whoa, you better back up. You know, like mm -hmm. it was just no shame in writing he, him and Because I just want to reinforce something you said earlier. Yeah. It's because he's a father. Yes. Not a judge. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, he's just so close and so tender. Mm -hmm. um, and then about 10 minutes after I finished writing, I just, again, was just so back in my emotion of, I am so angry with you. Why are you not showing up? Um, this is about a year now of trying again to get pregnant at this point. And, um, and then 10 minutes later, Ryan sent me this podcast and she said, I just really feel like God wants you to hear something. Take it or leave it, you know? So she was really brave to send it. Um, and the whole time through that podcast, it was about a woman who would carry babies full term and lose them. And she felt during her testimony that God told her after the first miscarriage, you're not going to have to bury another baby. And so she held on to that, um, 
And then sure enough, she buried another baby. And mm. I just, the whole time was like, God, what are you doing? Why would you not step in? And, um, you know, just same feelings with me in, in my situation. And um, so, yeah, losing my train of thought. It's okay. It's just, so he just spoke to me in the same way through that whole podcast. I just cried the whole time. And something in her podcast that she talked about was trusting that God is good, even though you're disappointed and just like the radical holiness that he can bring down. Um, when you just choose to say, no, you're good, even though I'm disappointed. (laughs) Um, and so at that time he kind of reminded me of Natalie dancing with her flags and, um, and I'm like, Oh, why are you bringing this back up? (laughs) Um, and so he just told me, I put that desire in your heart and I, I made that desire in your heart to dance for me. And I understand that for this last year, that has been hard and that's okay. But I, he, he just told me he wanted to do some restoration and healing. Um, if I would step out in this way out of my comfort zone way and worship him, um, in this way. And so, and so how do you feel when you do it? So the cool part is, um, see, I didn't even talk about this, but my whole life I've struggled with fear and anxiety. And again, that's something he's been really working on me with. And the amazing part for me and the part that just told me I'm not being crazy, this is what God wants me to do, is the whole week leading up uh, that first Sunday that I danced with flags, um, I just was not scared. I was just excited to experience God in this way. And um, while I was dancing, it, I was just so free, like just, just feeling the weight come off of me. And there was no thought of like that boy who was giggling and like, oh, you're so cute that you were dancing during worship. Like there was none of that. And I just felt so free to fully feel just him and I there. And so, yeah, that was just amazing. And again, with the tenderness and grace of God, like Jason Bennett was talking about enthusiastic worshipers during his message. And again, that was not planned. (laughs) Like God was just so good to be like, here, you felt comfortable and you had peace, but I'm going to also tell you or have this extra confirmation that what you're doing is what I want you to do. And no one is judging you. It's good. It's good, Naomi. Yeah. It, it's funny because Chris and I were gone that weekend, and, and Jason was teaching, and, uh, and we got home, and, and somebody, first thing they said was, we had flaggers in church on Sunday. <laughs> I know, I'm not comfortable with it beforehand either, but when I'm, when I'm doing it, I'm free. And, Just... and you're not sharing this because you're trying to get a whole flag team up here. <laughs> the... The, yeah. the, point of, the point of this is, when Jesus shows up, he might push you way out of your comfort zone. He sure did for Saul, Paul. Push him way out of his comfort zone. But the healing and restoration that comes with, with obedience and abandoning yourself to what he's calling you to do is, is profound, isn't it? Can I share one more? Yes. Um, so, uh, actually... 
it was either a week or a week and a half after I did the flag worship, uh, we found out we were pregnant again. And then I went to the doctor the next day and there was nothing. So, but I just am bringing this up because throughout this, this second miscarriage, I mean, I've even said in the past, I, that, I can't go through that again. I can't do that again, you know, and I did. <laughs> and um, I have felt so much more peace this time because, and I'm losing my train of thought why I even brought that up, but just, there's just been so much more peace and he's been so much more clearly downloading to me throughout these last few weeks. And I, and I think maybe the message that we need to hear through that, I'm glad you brought this up, is that you're not dancing with flags to manipulate God into giving you what you want. Right. You're just joyfully connecting with him. Yeah. And that's so beautiful. And instead of how I felt through this last year of worship, where I'm just so overwhelmed by the sadness during worship, mm -hmm. and why are you not showing up for me this way? I'm stepping out in the opposite spirit and being like, That's I right. love you. Right. And I'm going to wave my hands for you. Absolutely. So good. So good. I want, us, I want us to pray for Naomi. Jason, why don't you come on up too? Let's, let's pray for these kids. Kids. You're fully grown adults, but... Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for these precious, precious young adults who are following you with their whole hearts. And I want to pray, Jesus, that you will give them the desires of your heart. Chris and I struggled through the whole infertility thing for many, many years. And then one day, Jesus, you showed up in the most miraculous, surprising way we never saw it coming. I pray, Jesus, for that same kind of surprise for Jason and Naomi. Their story will be different than ours. But Jesus, you have a plan, and you have a surprise. You have a kiss for them. And I pray, Lord, that you will help them to stay single-focused on being worshipers and being followers of Jesus and, and pushing through these hard seasons. And Jesus, we pray for the desires of their heart to be met just as you promise in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay. Thanks, Naomi. Yes. Give him a big round of applause. Okay, I, I know there's probably a majority of you that are going, Jesus better not ask me to wave a flag. Okay. Never say never. Here's what's interesting about Paul. Saul. I should call him Saul because in this period of of time he was, he was going by Saul. Why would Jesus show up for somebody that was actively trying to destroy Jesus' church? You want to know why? Because Saul was sincerely seeking God. And this is true of Naomi too. The reason Jesus shows up is because we are actively seeking God. Here's a promise from the Old Testament, from Jeremiah 29. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Somebody here needs to hear this. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. 
And this is why I want to invite you to read this letter with us for these 10 weeks, because I promise you, you will encounter Jesus if you will push in. You and I are a lot like Paul, and and Jesus is going to show up. I, I just know there's something special coming in this next season. Now, here's the second reason why we're going to be reading this together. You and I are also a lot like the Corinthian Christians, okay? If you know anything about the Corinthian Christians, this is not a compliment, okay? Uh, They were kind of messed up people, and you and I are a lot like them. Just by virtue of being American Christians, American Christians are a lot like Corinthian Christians. Let me give you a little background, and we'll, we'll move through this relatively quickly, but here's a map of where Corinth is in, in the world. Corinth is still an, 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 an operating city today. Italy is up there in the top left corner, and Israel down there in the bottom right, and so Paul was traveling all over Turkey and Greece, and he was planting churches, but what was interesting about Corinth was it's right at this neck of an isthmus. Remember Remember geography, Isthmus? Okay, go to that next slide, would you please? Um, see, see where Corinth is? This is a big projection out from Greece, and Corinth was right there at, at this neck, and there was a harbor on the west, there was a harbor on the east, and so there was all kinds of shipping and trade traffic that was coming through through those ocean ways, and, and so Corinth had developed into this incredibly wealthy city. It was also really well protected. Uh, the next picture shows you what's known as the Acrocorinth, which is a mashing together of Acropolis. That's called an Acropolis, and, and the city is Corinth. And so this was a place of fortification. They built big fortresses up there on that, on that Acrocorinth, and so the city was well defended. And so just like Americans, these Corinthian people were wealthy, They were influential. They were multicultural. There were people from all over the world that lived in Corinth. Bozeman, not as much, but in America, yes, we're very, very multicultural. Like Americans, the Corinthians were proud, self-impressed, and very much like Montanans, fiercely independent. They didn't want anybody bossing them around. And, and, and so the attitude that developed in Corinth was, I can fix it myself. How many of you have ever said that? I can fix it myself. Christians who are fiercely independent sometimes will say, I'll come back to Jesus when I kick this wicked habit. Have you ever said that? That's something I think the Corinthians would say. That's something we, we say sometimes. And this attitude develops in people who live at the crossroads of the world. It's where we live. In fact, I was thinking about this uh, this week. Four Corners, right here where we meet every Sunday, is literally the crossroads of the world. Do you know people from all over the world travel through this intersection every day, every week, every month, year after year after year? We literally sit at the crossroads of the world. And listen, friends, we can't do it alone. We need Jesus to show up because we are so much like 
the Corinthian Christians. And as we read through this letter, you're going to find out that, that we're so much like them in so many ways. Lots of stuff that we're going to learn and we're going to see. Here's one of the things I want you to think about this morning before we move on to our third point. One of the commonalities we have with these Corinthian Christians was the Corinthians would mix their Christian faith with their popular culture. We do that a lot. As American Christians, we really struggle with changing our worldview to a biblical worldview or a Jesus worldview because we're really, really American. Would you agree with me? And so there's stuff that, that, that Paul addresses in this letter that you're going to find is very practical for us as well. The Corinthians were arguing and bickering all the time. That doesn't ever happen at Connect Church, but it happens in all the other churches. <laughs> there were divisions, bitterness, compromise, selfishness. Does it sound like American Christians to you? And... This is one of the kickers. Just like Americans, first century Corinthians were preoccupied with sex. Remember that, that Acro-Corinth that I told you? Oh, it's still up there. What a beautiful picture. On that Acro-Corinth was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite. Again, you might remember Aphrodite from your high school history class or, or literature class. The goddess Aphrodite was the goddess of love, lust, passion, pleasure, beauty, sexuality. As I, was, uh, as I was researching Corinth the last couple of weeks, I came across images that, that sculptures and paintings and decorations, they were preoccupied with sex. This is first century pornography. I can't even put it up on the screens. I mean, literally. These people were obsessed with sex. One Bible scholar that I read uh, this week said, uh, Corinth had a reputation for sexual freedom. In the historical museum in today's Corinth, there's an exhibit of clay votives decorated by human genitals. And these votives would be offered to the gods in prayer for healing of that part of the body. Now, I looked this up. It wasn't just genitals. They would decorate these little votives, little candle holders, with whatever part of their body was diseased. So some of the pictures that I saw had like a hand that had a tumor on the back of the hand. But many, many, many of these votives were decorated with human genitals. Why? Because venereal disease was rampant in Corinth. The temple to Aphrodite was a place where temple prostitutes worked, and people went to worship sex by joining with temple prostitutes. Now, you can groan and shake your head, but is America any different? As Americans, we're preoccupied with sex and there's so many people that worship at the temple of sex. And, and, and as Christians, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I wanna stay focused on, on, on Christians here, but we struggle as American Christians because everything in our culture says you need to be free. Don't, don't limit yourself, don't inhibit your freedom, and, and we find excuses for not following what Jesus says. And it's messing us up, and, and Paul is gonna address this in his letter. Here's what I know. Sexual freedom 
is really an opportunity for all kinds of brokenness. You know this. It's not just disease, but it's broken relationships. It's broken families. It messes us up. In fact, there's some new research out that are talking about why so many young men aren't dating at all. And it's because they're sitting in the temple of Aphrodite, also known as their mother's basement. <laughs> they're sitting in the temple of Aphrodite and just satisfying themselves so they don't need real relationships. This is an opportunity for Christians to bring the healing of Jesus to our world. But we've got to start with ourselves. And we need Jesus to show up. Good news, Jesus is showing up all the time. Okay, let's go to reason number three. Reason number three for reading this letter for the next 10 weeks. We need Jesus just like the Corinthians did. I want to take you now to 1 Corinthians 15, and this is up on the screen. I want you to see this. The very end of Paul's letter, he says, I passed on to you what was most important. Everybody say most important. In other words, don't miss this. I passed on to you what's most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. This is talking, you know, in Paul's real time. Most of those eyewitnesses were still alive, although some had died. And then he was seen by James. Do you remember who James is? Jesus' half-brother, who scoffed and didn't believe in Jesus until after he saw Jesus raised from the dead. And then he became a Christ follower. And then he was seen by all the apostles. And then Paul says this about himself. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. I think what he's saying here is, oh, I wish I'd have been, I wish I'd have been one of the apostles. I wish I could have walked with him. I wish I'd have been the one that stepped out of the boat and walked on water. I wish, but I was born at the wrong time, but still, I also saw him. Do you see that? I also saw him. For I'm the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But you know what? Jesus showed up. He showed up for Paul. He shows up for us. And I believe we need Jesus just as much as the Corinthians did, just as much as Paul did. I had a conversation with a mom this week, a young mom, and, and she said to me, I was, I was looking for parenting books when I was expecting my baby, and as I'm scrolling through all the books on Amazon or, or, or wherever, uh, I, I, I would reject any book that was more than 10 years old. Interesting observation. She said, because we have a bias, new truth is better than old truth. Not according to Paul. Did you catch what Paul said? Paul said there's an ancient truth that is the most important truth. 
And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. It's simple, but Paul says it's the most important thing you can latch on to. Number one, Christ died for our sins. You've got to know that is the most important truth. Secondly, Christ was raised on the third day. Didn't end with Jesus dying. He raised. There's all kinds of theological implications. I, I got to keep going. Number three, you've got to know. If you feel skeptical or doubtful sometimes, listen to this. This is, this is so important. He was seen by hundreds of witnesses. Paul listed them there, some of them by name. Jesus was seen by hundreds of witnesses. This is historical fact. This isn't something that was made up in the second or third century by, by Christians who wanted to invent a new, new religion. It's historical fact that hundreds of people saw Jesus alive after he had been crucified. And lastly, Paul says, he's still showing up. How many of you would say today, in your lifetime, Jesus is still showing up? Now you can raise your hand. He's still showing up. So here's where we're going to go, kids. For the next 10 weeks, I want to invite you to read this letter with us. Many of our connection groups are going to be reading 1 Corinthians together. Um, and, and, and what you've got to know here is you're going to get the most out of reading 1 Corinthians if you're reading together with a group. In fact, I hadn't thought about this. Kelly sh shared this observation with us this week. Uh, 1 Corinthians was actually written to small groups. Because in Corinth, they were a brand new church. They didn't have a building. They were meeting in people's homes in small groups. So when they got this letter from Paul, they would have read it in their small home group and then passed it on to another small group and they would have passed it around and passed it around, made copies, passed it around. This was meant to be read in small groups. So I want to invite you today to join a small group. We're launching groups this week. And then on Sundays, every week, we're going to be teaching from the passage that we're covering in groups. And listen, you are going to see Jesus show up in your life. So I'm going to give you homework today. Okay, you ready for this? Um, this is audience participation time. Here's your first homework assignment. Sign up for a group. I'm going to walk you through it. Grab your phone. Grab your phone and open the Church Center app that you've already downloaded on your phone. Because we talk about it every Sunday, so I know it's on your phone. When you open your app, you're going to see this. Okay? And I know sometimes it's, um, it can be confusing to navigate the app, so I'm going to just walk you through this. Okay? Oh, it just went off. Not helpful. <laughs> Looks like this, and then you can touch that, that circle, and it'll take you to this menu you're gonna come down to connect, all right? And then you're gonna to touch join a group. Now here you're gonna see that all of our groups that have already formed, and I, I think we'll probably have some more groups still forming, and you can always form a group you know, this week if there's some people you want to get together with and, and read 1 Corinthians, that'll be great. But you'll see all these different groups. And I'm gonna ask those of you that are leading groups to stand and wave real quick. All right, the first one we got is Brothers Breakfast. These guys meet on the first Saturday of the month. I don't see Sonny here, but I think John is here. Is John in the back? 
John is waving from the back. How many of you men participate sometimes, whenever, if you, if you participate on, on, in Brother's Breakfast, there's John in the back. If you participate, would you jump to your feet? Come on, just stand up so we can see you. All right, excellent, okay? Great group of guys meeting on the first Saturday. Okay, you can sit down. We do need more. Thank you, Dan and Jeff. The Collective, where's JD and Becca? JD's right over here. Stand up, would you, JD? You've got groups forming Friday nights uh, in particular. It's kind of a small group, okay? And uh, young people, stand to your feet if you're in the Collective. Come on, we need to see you. And make some noise, guys. Come on. Awesome. Awesome. Friday night happenings. This is led by Sherry Saylor, and they're, I think, in California today. Uh, but if you've signed up for this group, anybody signed up for this group yet? Meeting on Friday nights, and it's kind of going to be an activity. You are stand up, Carolyn. We need to see you. Oh, you're so beautiful. Thank you. And then Hearts for Prayer. Is Missy here today? There's Missy. Hearts for Prayer. This is a group, probably our longest running group at Connect, and they meet even through the summer when all of our other groups disband. Uh, disband. Missy is our great leader. Uh, those of you that are in this group, stand to your feet. Come on wherever you are. Oh, well, they're probably out praying somewhere. I'm sure they are. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Missy. Seriously, they, they, do, hard, they do the hard work of prayer, and I, I'm so grateful for them. Uh, Tyler and Courtney Brandt. Brand new group forming this fall, brand new married. Can I just say this? These are fantastic young leaders. And they're forming a group. It'll be a fairly small group. What are you capping it at? Ten people, all right? But they're not just looking for young adults. They're looking for anybody that wants to take a deep dive into 1 Corinthians. And you will love these two young people. And, and it'll be a great group. Thanks so much, you guys. Is anybody in your group yet? that needs to stand? Janine. Where's Janine? All right. All these slackers today. I don't know what to say. <laughs> we should probably edit that out of the podcast. Mary and Martha with Carolyn and Marla. Carolyn already stood, and your sidekick isn't here with us today. Oh, East Coast. That's right. I remember. They'll be back when? And your group is starting a little bit late, correct? Okay. And so this will be a great group for ladies, correct? Anybody already in this group? You want to stand up and give a shout? Hooray! Julie's in the group. Yes. And Heather back there. All right, good. It's going to be great. So you can sign up for that one. Tosh leads giving meals. Here's Tosh right here. Tosh has new hair, which is awesome. Every week she has new hair these days. It's amazing how quickly it grows. Uh, this is a group that's been going for a while, and, and Tosh gathers with people that just wants to prepare meals to bless the Connect congregation. Are you going to be going through 1 Corinthians or just focusing on ministry? Okay, great group, and if you just like to serve people, this would be a great group for you. Um, and then the sailors who are, again, not here today, they're doing a group that will be on 1 Corinthians on Mondays. Anybody already planning to be in that group? You can stand up and represent. Anybody? Okay. Uh, we need some people on that. And then the next one is new connectors with Russ and Chris. I am Russ. This is my wife, Chris, back here. 
This is for anyone who's new to Connect, or here's our caveat, if you've never been in our group, you are welcome to join, okay? So whether or not you're actually new, uh, you're invited to our group, and we don't cap it, so sometimes we have a pretty good group, but right now I think we only have, oh, we have 10 already. Well, if you're in our group, you better stand to your feet and represent here. Come on, guys. Oh. Slackers. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So glad to have you with us. Thursday Night Connections. This is with the Youngs. Youngs sitting where you don't usually sit. Oh, these Youngs. I thought it was you. You are not hosting a group. This might be a prophetic moment, Carmen. <laughs> These youngs are hosting a group, and I think you've got a pretty good group that's been meeting together for a while. If you're in the youngs group, would you stand to your feet and let us know that you're there? Boy, Carolyn, you are a busy lady. Okay, <laughs> that's awesome, it's good. Okay, I think we're at the end of our list. Thank you so much. I hope... How did I miss Zelenios? Oh, no, I missed a whole bunch of them. Sorry, West of 60s. Jeff and Keita are leading this one. Stand up, Jeff and Keita. This is a group you're just meeting once a month, correct? For anybody who's West of 60. Awesome. Anybody want to stand and admit that you're West of 60? Yeah! <laughs> Kathy Morris is leading a group. Isn't this fun? Kathy Morris is leading a group. Kathy Morris is also a slacker this morning. Uh, <laughs> but her group is starting a little bit late. Am I right, John? Meeting a little bit late. Anybody in Kathy's group already you want to stand and represent even though Kathy's away? Thank you, thank you, thank you. So glad you're in that group. And then, all right, by popular demand, Zillennials, stand to your feet. Come on, guys. All right. I missed the vocals. How did I do that? Oh, it's Withing Wednesdays. Withing Wednesdays, because you're going to be withing, not wything. You're going to be withing. Jeff and Julie, stand up so we can see who you are. Stand up if you're in the vocals group. There we go. Lots of people. Good group. This is a great group. Okay. You've got more room, Jeff, in your group? Okay. All right. You are welcome to join any of these groups, and I hope you'll do it. As you can tell, some of them are filling up quickly, so I hope you'll do it.